Okay. We come back together and uh, we're going to turn to the Word of God. I wonder what you feel when you turn to the Bible. Do you expect it to speak to you? What do you expect when you open the Scriptures? Do you think that's an important question to ask? Do you want it to speak to you? Do you expect it to speak to you? Do you expect it to bring life? Or do you think, oh, I just need to be real? Sometimes we may just feel that. We may think, oh, I don't know whether I can face it today. That's okay. It's okay. But can I encourage us? Let's be people who read the word, get hold of the word, because it brings life. It brings the life of God to us. And then it's important, it's so important for our walk, our relationship with God. It reveals something of who God is. It helps us deepen our relationship with God. So, so important. And uh, so let's be people who grab hold of the word. It will speak into us. It will feed us. It will nurture us. It will draw us to the Father. Help us to know him better. Brings a revelation of who he is. Let's be a people of the word. Sorry, that's not in my notes at all. Just feeling stirred as, uh, as we uh, come uh, to spend this time together. I hear um, uh, last week... We had a uh, great preach from Jonathan. I don't know. Yeah, you're still here, Jonathan. Well done. I've heard it from so many people. Well done. And thank you. And uh, I, I must admit, I have yet to listen to it. It's on my list of things to do. But I've, I've heard so many reports, I almost feel like I've heard the preach already without actually having listened to it yet. Okay. So this week, we're, uh, we're going to be finishing off our mini-series. We've been doing uh, a mini-series looking at leadership. Leadership in the church uh, has been our particular focus of it. And uh, this is week three of a three-part one. And uh, the reason we uh, decided to look at the whole thing of leadership is because in the world today, there is a crisis of leadership. And actually in the church, we have directions from the word of God as to not only how we are to structure the church for leadership, but actually how we as believers have a responsibility to take hold of responsibility and work that in our everyday lives and bring something of the kingdom and rule of God into every aspect of our lives. And that requires leadership whether that's into the workplace, whether that's in the home, the family, in the church, or any other setting. And that uh, God gives gifts of leaders and, and of leadership. And that's why we've been sort of looking at this in week one. I don't know if you can think back, because it's uh, four weeks ago, because we've done every other week. Um, we looked at some of, the things, some of the things we could learn from the Holy Trinity from how the Holy Trinity works together in leadership. And we, uh, I'm just, just a sort of quick reminder really, uh, we talked about actually how uh, the role is not important in the sense of don't let it uh, take over where we get our self-worth from. Actually, for us to lead well, first of all, we need to be clear about our self-worth. So our self-worth is in Christ. That it's not about what we achieve, it's not about what we do, it's not about who we know or any of those other things. But actually that we start off 
recognising that each person is given distinct gifts, distinct roles, but that actually it's, we lead out of who we are in Christ, not to uh, achieve approval or any of those other things which can so easily drive us and particularly often drives uh, mankind in the world. And uh, then we also talked about actually how the Trinity is like a team. That actually even in the Trinity of God, the, uh, the headship of God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit of God, there is a sense of teamwork there, different roles and responsibilities. And actually, that similarly in the New Testament, we talk about a body ministry of the church. And that actually nobody's got everything. None of us have got it all, but we're called to work together, to recognize through mutual submission and accountability that actually we work together and actually together we have strength. And so there was the whole thing of team and that we're called to be part of a team. The third aspect we drew from this is leadership authority comes out of uh, obedience. And obedience is rooted in submission. That actually we start... Where we find authority is when we submit ourselves under authority. That is, we become obedient under Christ. And at the heart of obedience is uh, actually a heart which says, I'm submitted. I'm sold out. I know I can't do this without you, Lord. And so we start from a place of submission. And actually out of that place for submission, which incidentally also creates a desire for accountability, we take steps of obedience. And actually, as we take those steps of obedience, we find that there is authority placed on us because we are under authority. We're under authority because we're shaped by the word of God. We're under authority under Christ's authority. And that actually within that, then, there's an empowering and a release. And then we also talked about how uh, Christ, uh, as part of the Trinity, demonstrated for us on earth what leadership looked like he came and demonstrated that and the essence of it was this it was servant leadership and actually how servant leadership results in empowering release actually Christ came and he served he served his disciples he empowered them he equipped them he released them and said right now get on and go and do these things he came and served us as the the phrase the servant king is sometimes used to describe him he came and served mankind by dying for our sin and our shame why well he led through that he led through that he created a sense of empowerment and release for mankind release from sin and shame empowerment to receive the Holy Spirit by Christ coming and dying and ascending he goes back to the Father and the Holy Spirit is sent wow so we can actually live by the Spirit so we're not just called to this thing called Christianity but we're given the Spirit of God to live in us to enable us to empower us to live this life how cool is that we get the whole package in God he doesn't leave us high and dry and say well now now you've got to sort it out yourself no And Christ's act of coming as the Son and serving us, dying for us at the cross. And that servanthood isn't weak. Sometimes I think people think servanthood is weakness. It's not. Servanthood requires massive strength. Involves massive self-sacrifice. 
And then uh, two weeks ago, Malcolm came and talked about what we could use the phrase governmental leadership in the church. He talked about actually how uh, the church is to be led by elders. He talked particularly on the role and the qualifications and the appointment of elders. And, uh, uh, and we'll come back to that in a few weeks' time and talk more on that. And today what I'd like us to do is now start to look at another aspect of leadership in the church. And uh, just to help us, and so you don't have to listen to my voice too much, I've just asked two people to come and read the passages we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at one in the Old Testament and one in the New. Uh, If you want to read along with us, you need to turn to Exodus chapter 18 and stick your finger in there. We're going to start there. And then also Acts chapter 6. Now I'm trying to remember, Don, have you got the Exodus one? You've got the Exodus one. Come come and... uh, Come and uh, read this to us, please. Right, Exodus 18, starting at verse 13. On the morrow, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said... What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand about you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me and I decide between man and his neighbor and I make them know the statutes of God and his decisions. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to perform it alone. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall teach them the statutes and the decisions and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, choose able men from all the people, such as fear God, men who are trustworthy and who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as rulers of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter that they bring to you, but... Any small matter, they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses gave heed to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel, and made them heads over the people, Rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, of fifties and tens. And they judged the people at all times. Hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. And now Jennifer is going to come and read to us from Acts 6. Thank you. Um, Acts 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews 
because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered and all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pormenus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Sorry about the names you had to read out there. Okay, so look at leadership in the church. It's very easy to sort of talk about elders and then what's next? And here we've got two different stories. One to do with the Old Testament, the Israelites, they're prospering, they're growing. Moses is trying to lead them. And his father come, father-in-law pops around for a chat. Not quite pops around, it's a bit of a journey. But he comes around to see him and they end up having a conversation. The visit of the father-in-law, father-in-law Jethro, comes. <laughs> and he says to Moses, hey, come on, what on earth are you up to here? This is killing you. You're not doing it well. You're not caring for the people well. Things need to change. Let me give you some advice. And he brings some uh, real wisdom, it would appear, from God. Even though probably, as far as we know at this point, uh, Jethro may not even be a follower of, of, of Yahweh, of God. But he seems to bring some real wisdom to him. And then the other passage, Acts 6 We've got uh, the church growing, burgeoning in these days when the number of disciples was increasing. And yet, within that, things are going wrong. That's always encouraging to read that. And even in the New Testament, things went wrong in the early church. It wasn't perfect then. And funnily enough, we're not perfect now. And uh, things are not right. People People are being overlooked. People are complaining. And the 12 gather together and say, hey, what can we do to ensure that the church is well looked after? To ensure that all the people are well looked after. And so we've got these two uh, very similar situations, very distinctly different, and yet in some ways very similar situations. And I'd like to draw some thoughts from both of these passages as to uh, how perhaps we should be thinking of uh, uh, how, how we do leadership in our church. So, Father, we want to ask that as we've read your word, Lord, would you speak to us from your word? Would you continue to minister to us as you've already started to? Continue to bring freedom. I pray, Father, that through this word, many of us would take steps of freedom today. Come, Spirit of the Lord. Bring liberty. Bring freedom. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to draw three main points. There'll be some sub-points particularly on one of them. Three main points from these two passages 
And uh, they're these. The first thing, first thing we need to recognize is in the context of growth, the, the leaders, whether that's Moses or the disciples, need to be released in order to do what they're meant to do. Moses wants to, uh, is called to fo- focus on teaching and demonstrating God's ways to the people. He's demonstrating something of God. With the disciples, the focus they want, uh, is to be on the ministry of the word. That is teaching the people and prayer. And so in both of these situations, there is, uh, as uh, the church, as the body of God's people grows and prospers, there is a sense of we need to release the leaders. We need to let them focus on the things which they're uniquely gifted for and have other people gifted to do uh, other things in the life of the church. And uh, that release is important because it allows ongoing growth to take place. And we can read that and see that in both of these uh, passages. If you then read on, you can see the ongoing growth which takes place as a result of what happens in these the second aspect, and we'll come back to this and look at uh, this in a bit more detail in a moment, is that the solution seems to be very similar. That basically there, is, there needs to be a way of recognizing and appointing people who can represent Moses or the disciples really well. That is, people with good character, good heart, good connection with these, uh, I'm going to use this phrase, with these governmental leaders, these people who are, t- who are governing the people of God. There needs, uh, and, and so there needs to be some sort of way of recognizing and appointing people to carry significant leadership responsibility in both of these situations. And just to say that doesn't mean necessarily that nobody else led. It's just it's recognizing key people to carry significant leadership responsibility. We'll come back to what the details of that looks like in a minute. And then thirdly... Uh, there are some instructions to those delegates, to those people. Uh, in Exodus 18, we, have, um, we, we, we can see that there's uh, some character qualifications, uh, there's some capacity issues. Some are going to lead thousands, some are hundreds, some are fifty, some are tens. So recognizing that different people have got different gifts and uh, in making sure that people are released and uh, recognized to lead in different ways, that seems to be part of it. But also, um, it talks about making sure that they uh, bring the tough cases back to Moses. So there's, there's an ongoing relationship here. It's not just saying, go and do this and, and ignore them. But there is, uh, there is a process there. There's some guidance being given as to how these uh, 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 people uh, that uh, uh, Moses appoints are to work. In Acts 6, there's a commissioning. We see that uh, there's a commissioning takes place as a process for how they're appointed. Quite an interesting process for how they're appointed. We'll look at that a bit more in a moment as well. And uh, they're empowered. They're given clear responsibilities. This is what you're to do. We want you to look after these widows. We want to make sure they're well-fed, well-cared for. And they become accountable. They're accountable to the disciples, to the elders. Uh, And they're prayed for. They're prayed in. We see these people, uh, you know, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. There was a, a process of anointing or, or uh, of appointing and anointing these people for leadership. Just to go back, what sort of people are we talking about? Well, 
I just want to unpack this. So that middle point, recognize the point people who can represent them well. We want people with good character and things like that. Well, in Exodus 18, we, it talks about capable men. And I wonder how you would define a capable man. What's capable? What does capable mean? Well, maybe it includes things such as wise, with good judgment, with the ability to discern. People of good inner character, perhaps. But also capable suggests they've got gifting, they've got ability, and probably a good level of responsibility. Also talks about people who fear God. Well, we know the fear of God leads to, a, first and foremost, a good perspective of who we are. We uh, looked at that not that many uh, months ago when we talked about what does fear of God mean. And that, from that foundation, a good understanding of who we are, we can serve others. Trustworthy. Men of truth and integrity, I would suggest that probably means. And he even goes on to say, people who hate dishonest gain. So these are people of good character. They're proven. They're recognized by the people um, of having these things. In Acts 6, we're told they're full of the Spirit. I wonder what that means, full of the Spirit. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Full of the Spirit. How do you know? Are there, how, are there, how do you recognize whether somebody's full of the Spirit or not? Does it mean that they speak lots in tongues? Does that mean they're full of the Spirit? What does it mean to be full of the Spirit? How do you recognize somebody who's full of the Spirit? Well, perhaps it, it starts off actually, again, by being much more character thing. Actually, people with appropriate humility. That actually, it's not about them. You can just sense it's about uh, their desire to serve God. Their, their hunger for the people of God. To care, to lead, to direct. Actually, there's a humility uh, I would suggest to you, where, where we're full of the Spirit, that, the Spirit creates a humility in us. We can see uh, the character of the fruit of the Spirit coming through. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And I think I've missed one off. If anybody was going through the list and remembers, you can tell me afterwards. Um, you can read about that in Galatians 5. You can see some of the fruit of the Spirit. And yes, probably they will also be using spiritual gifts. They will have spiritual gifts they use. So those could be some of the qualities of somebody who's full of the Spirit. Ultimately, I would suggest that the, one of the greatest hallmarks of somebody who's full of the Spirit is that intimacy with the Father. Because that's what the Spirit does. He comes and affirms who we are. It's the Spirit in us who cries out, Abba, Father. He gives us a hunger for truth and righteousness. Living rightly before God. Understanding who we are in Christ. Walking free from sin. Wisdom. Godly wisdom. We've already talked about that. Good with all sorts of people. I, would think, I think Acts 6 suggests actually you're going to have to get on well with a wide range of people. Not just uh, your own. Uh, there seems to be a good sense of being practical and yet pastoral. It seems to be both. It's not just one or the other. I think sometimes people talk about Acts 6 and say, well, it's a purely practical thing. I would want to argue this seems to suggest it comes out of a pastoral heart, a desire to care for people well, a desire to see the church nurtured and uh, cared for and looked after well. It also seems that there's a desire there, a desire to release the elders, the disciples, to their functions. That actually it's not about uh, 
gathering responsibility to create a power base or anything like that. But the desire, the fundamental desire here is to release, to release, to care for and release others to do what they're to do. And it seems that without any doubt at all, uh, their role enabled the ongoing growth of the church. They were effective at what they were asked to do. They enabled the ongoing growth of the church to continue by releasing the disciples uh, to press forward. Do you may think, well, on earth, where, where are we going with this, Andrew? Where are we going with this? How's this work for us as a church? What, what's, what's this meant to look like? Don't we already have this as a church? Well, let's just talk about us as a church for a moment. We're incredibly blessed to have three elders and hopefully some more coming through to eldership in the relatively near future. But do you know what? Even if we had a team of six elders in this church, if everything relied on us as elders, give up. We're sunk. Sunk without a trace. Why? There's six of us. Well, there aren't six of us at the moment, but even if there were six elders, you can't rely on six men to care for a church of gathering 200 plus on a Sunday. Can't do it. It would kill us. Now, the good news is we have more than six elders in that we have other people who carry great responsibility in this church already. We've got trustees who look after the um, financial and um, legal responsibilities of an organization such as this, ranging vast, the vast range of responsibilities from health and safety and employment law and GDPR, that wonderful subject we all love to hate. And uh, uh, yeah, don't we just? And all those other things, the financial uh, budgeting, setting budgets, financial controls, all of that sort of stuff. Brilliant people. Absolutely brilliant people who give phenomenal amounts of time to serving us as a church. We have life group leaders, great people who care for uh, uh, small uh, or smaller groups of the church, who uh, enable a mission to go forward, who uh, enable pastoral care to happen. We've got team leaders. We've got a whole wide range of teams in the life of this church. We've got great team leaders. We have what we call a wider leadership team. People like Peter and Kathy, Mark and Charlie, uh, who are on the wider leadership team, helping us, meeting with us as elders and our wives and, and speaking in and, and helping us think things through. So we've got a whole load of other levels and types of leadership already in the church. And can I just say, if you carry leadership responsibility in this church, whether you're leading one or five, or ten, or fifty, or whatever it may well be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because actually, if it wasn't for all of us getting involved in all sorts of different ways, in all sorts of levels, whether it's leading New Horizons, or running Kids Club, or being a trustee, or any of the other things which happen in the life of this church, we would be... Uh, much worse off we wouldn't function well so you may say well does anything need to change therefore does anything need to change 
Well, I'd like to suggest perhaps. And perhaps we need to start to have a bit of a conversation. You see, I think we, are, we have got some great people carrying great responsibility. What we would really benefit from is being able to recognise that some people carry us a, a particular level of responsibility in the life of our church. Now, in the New Testament, uh, there is a word used for these sorts of people. They're the sort of servant leader carrying significant responsibility, people who are connected with the leaders of the church well, people who are of great character, uh, people who serve willingly and diligently with a high level of responsibility. And, and the word which is used in the New Testament to describe those is a word which we may have a particular reaction to, depending on your background. It's a word which we've even used in this church, I'm told, many years ago. And some people are, are already going, oh no, I know what you're going to say. And, and the word is deacon. And you may go, oh no, please, not the return of the deacon. But let's not be frightened of something just because of past. I don't know the past of deacons in this church. I know there are some people in this room who were deacons, who were recognized in that role, and uh, that's great. But let's just understand for a moment what we, uh, why this may be important. I think we've got to be very careful in a situation such as this, that we don't react because of our past, that we hold back on something, if we believe it to be biblically correct. Do you know, when I was uh, 18, I was looking in on a church. I wasn't yet a Christian. I was going out with a Christian girl, which, by the way, I would not recommend, um, but that was what was happening. And I went to a party. Now, I wasn't the most streetwise of individuals. I didn't go to lots of parties. But this party was weird. It was weird because it got busted, Partway through the party at about 9.30, up until this point it seemed like a very normal party. It was a church party. It was church youth. It got busted by three men who turned up. And they were all wearing suits and ties. In fact, two of them, if they had dark sunglasses on, could have done probably quite a good impression of Jake and Elwood Blues from the Blues Brothers. And they came to check on the party. They came to check whether alcohol was being consumed. They came to check that people were being respectful. And they um, ruined the party. <laughs> I have forgiven them. That was my first experience of deacons. It may not have been yours. I'm just telling you my story because you may think, oh, wow, okay, that's where he's coming from. Are deacons people who need to go around and check up on parties and make sure there's no alcohol being consumed? No. You'll be glad to hear. There are actually three passages in the New Testament which, refers to, which refer particularly to deacons. They're in Romans 16.1, where uh, Paul in greeting sends greetings about 
uh, to Phoebe, who's a deacon in the church. There are Philippians 1, uh, where similarly there's a greeting to the deacons, elders and the deacons of the church. And there's 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13, where uh, the qualifications of deacons are talked about. Now, depending on the Bible you have and the translation of the Bible you have, you may well find the word deacon in your Bible elsewhere. Can I suggest to you that the actual word uh, deacon, is, uh, those three passages I've just referred to are the only ones where that actual word is used. The other times it is a translation issue where people have gone, well, you could put that in there, and they've, they've got put in there. So if we were to just purely focus on those three uh, passages and to look at them, well, two of them are describing a, a group of people or an individual, a deacon. Or, uh, so Phoebe in Rome or uh, the, the deacons of the church in uh, Philippi. And then the other one is, uh, as I say, used to describe the character qualifications of deacons. But what's this word deacon mean? You may say, well, I've never heard of deacons, and if deacons are anything like you've just described, Mandra, I don't want to hear of anything about deacons. What's this word deacon mean? Well, fundamentally, the word, if the, the, the most simple translation of the word would be table servant or servant. That would be the, the, the most basic, simple translation of the word. And I think that tells us a lot about what deacons did. They were people who served They served the church. They were recognized as having a responsibility to serve in the life of the church. And uh, interestingly, though, uh, you do find in the New Testament, sometimes a very similar word to deacon is used, uh, which describes how somebody does something. In fact, Paul is described as deaconing at one point. And what, I, I, you'll never find it translated as that. You'll hear the word serving, serving the church. Because the two were regularly interchanged. Serving, deacon, deacon, serving. Because that's what they meant. That's what deacon meant. It's somebody who serves. Somebody who's recognized as having a responsibility to serve in the church in a particular way. So why would we want to use the word Deacon. You may say, why, why worry about that? What's, what's the word deacon mean anything more than perhaps elder, for example? Why, why, what's the distinction? Well, can I make this point? I would suggest to you that elder is about governmental leadership in the church. That is taking headship responsibility before God for the church. And so that is about uh, uh, governing, that is overseeing the church. It's about teaching Uh, The church is about setting the vision of the church. It is that type of leadership. It is governmental leadership responsibility in the church. Deacon, on the other hand, is about servant leadership. Principally, it's about serving the church uh, on behalf of the elders. These deacons are people who are recognized by the church, by elders, as carrying significant responsibility. That they, when, when they're around and you're talking with one of them, you know that really you're dealing with the heart of the elders. That the person you're talking to is representing the heart of the eldership team in the church. They've, they're carrying that sort of level of responsibility. Therefore distinct uh, from perhaps other le- levels of leadership in the church, which of course will be servant-based as well. 
Both words, elders and deacons, have got character qualifications. We can read of those in 1 Timothy 3, and I'd encourage you to read about those. But they also reflect a sense of gift or call, a recognition in the person and in the church of, yeah, I'm going to carry this responsibility. Neither words are status words. They aren't I've arrived. They aren't position words in terms of hierarchical, well, you know, uh, please, let's, let's not get into a sort of status-driven thing. Okay? You know, there is no greasy pole to climb in church leadership. There may be one to slide down, but there certainly isn't one to, to climb. So please let's not see things like this as having status. They don't. There's a recognition. There's a responsibility. Yes, there's an authority, but authority goes with responsibility. We've already established that. So what? What do we do with this? Andrew, have you just opened up a a rat's nest of stuff and we're just going to ignore it? Or what are we going to do about it? Well... For me, I think if the Bible talks about deacons, and we don't have massive amounts of information about them, but we seem to have enough, and the Bible talks about elders, and if we're going to talk about having elders in the church, which we do, then why are we ignoring not having deacons in the church? To me, it seems like if we aren't careful, we can be selective for what we believe in or how we apply the word, and we've got to apply the word. And so I would want to suggest to you, we would want to suggest to you as an eldership team that we want to start to explore, underline the word, start to explore, what it means to recognize deacons in the church. Now, how are we going to do this and what that's going to look like, we deliberately have not yet decided because we wanted to unpack this first set out the principles and say we're going to go on a bit of a journey and we're going to try and explore this over the next few months that doesn't mean we're going to be preaching about it every week far from that Um, so don't you know panic not if you're a bit concerned on that one but we are going to explore we're going to be pray prayerfully before God saying actually Lord have we got people we can recognize as deacons in the church now I think the answer is yes the question's who and how do we go about that? And how do, we, how do we recognize them? How do we lay hands on them? How do we pray for them? We'll work those things through. Incidentally, can I just highlight, in case you haven't picked up, deacons can be men or women. Clearly, Phoebe was a deacon. And the word is deacon, not deaconess. And a group of deacons is a group of deacons, not a diaconate. Just to be clear on those ones, if you, if, if you would uh, like that clarification. Uh, for 90% of us, probably it means nothing, but for 10 or 20% of us, we go, oh yeah, that reminds me of a history word, a uh, word from the past. So the challenge for us is, as we look to grow, we need to recognize people who carry significant leadership responsibility in the church. Why do we need to do that? In order to empower and, uh, and release those people for the ministry they carry in the church in order for us to continue to grow. That's the story of Moses. That's the story of what's happening in Acts 6. It's a growth moment. 
Praise God, we're growing as a church. So grateful for that. So grateful uh, for the grace of God being outworked in people's lives in this room. For people who didn't know Jesus, who are sitting in this room now, who didn't know him a year ago, six months ago, two years ago. That's great. But for our ongoing growth, we can't just have elders. We need to recognize other significant weight-carrying leaders in the church. And it seems to us that the word to describe those is deacons. And so that's the journey, or part of the journey we're going to be on over these next few months. We'll update you in the church meeting. We've got a church meeting on the 8th of July, and then we've got a church meeting also in September. We'll update you as we go through this process on those uh, occasions as to how this looks. So what difference does this make today? Well, let's just go back right to the beginning of why we did this series. We started the series recognizing there is a chronic lack of leadership and self-leadership in the world today. We also recognize that we have a responsibility, each one of us, to use the gifts God's given us to the maximum, to the full. We've talked about how leadership exists in the church Not to control, but to empower, to equip, to release the whole of us as a church, to function in all that God's got for us, in order that we, as the church, can bring something of the good news of Jesus to the world around us. That's why we exist, for the worship of God and for the extension of his kingdom. So let's do it well. Let's not get hindered through lack of resources. Let's carry that responsibility well in each of our hearts. And where we've got a sense of God saying, yeah, maybe he wants me to carry some more. Let's not be shy about stepping forward and carrying responsibility. Let's take hold of that responsibility God's given us. And let's serve one another well. Let's recognize some people carrying greater responsibility than others. That's nothing to do with status. It's nothing to do with worth. It's all to do with gifting and grace. And let's encourage one another to press into all that God's got for us. For all of his goodness, all of his grace, all of his mercy... To be a body which functions well together as a team for his glory and honor, for the praise of his name, that his kingdom come, that his will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, even in and through us, Harvest Church in Alton, but to the ends of the earth, for the glory and honor of his name. Amen. Just as we are finishing, I just want to bring a couple of words for some individuals. I, I felt during the worship God was speaking to me about a, a, a couple of prophetic words, and I just want to share those. Please, then, not to embarrass. Can I just say that? You may say, well, why are you bringing them from the front? I feel that sometimes there's, there's, a, 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 there's, there's like a recognition which happens when something's brought publicly, which can be empowering and releasing. 
And so I'm just going to share these. You need to weigh them. That's part of what we do with the prophetic. It's part of what we're going to be doing next week when we start looking at this series on the three big fields. We're going to talk about how do we weigh the prophetic and how do we engage with it and outwork it in our lives. So uh, please go away and weigh these ones. Uh, the first one is for you, Jess. Um, hello, wake up. Good morning. <laughs> you won't sleep, really. Um, you just look very surprised. Um, I feel that what I've just been teaching on is something of what God's calling you to. And I feel that there is a recognition which needs to be made in your own heart in order for a release and development to happen. It's not like it's going to happen just in the next, you know, next weeks or months necessarily, but I believe there is a gifting and a calling on your life to leadership and that God would say don't be shy of it and don't be wary of it and don't try and hide it but actually uh, allow God to grow it and develop it in you. And, uh, uh, and that's a good thing. Recognize it as a good thing. And let it grow and celebrate it. Not in an arrogant way, but celebrate it in a way of, I'm going to engage with this and let this grow in me. I feel there's a great anointing and responsibility, uh, anointing of God on you to carry great responsibility in the future. Um, is that okay? Okay, great, good. Um, the other one is, sorry, I've, I, I think I do know your name, but I've forgotten your name. Uh, Nimi, it's your son who's sitting next to you. Reuben. Hi, Reuben. Don't worry, it's okay. Um, I feel God wants to do something with you involving the nations of the world. And it's interesting, I, I was looking around in the worship, I sometimes do this, just saying, God, do you want to speak about something? I feel that the Lord would want to say to you that he's put the, the nations on your heart. Not a nation, but the nations. And that um, don't be afraid of thinking globally rather than just thinking about me and my town here. I feel that God would say he will take you to the nations of the world. He'll create opportunities for the advance of his uh, kingdom and the gospel in different nations, in different seasons of your life. You'll be somebody who travels. And as you travel, there'll be opportunities created to share something of the hope of Jesus and the love of Jesus in situations. I, I can see you both traveling in and out in short periods of time. Uh, maybe that's because of a secular job. I don't know that's the case. But maybe that will be because of some sort of secular job which takes you in and out of nations where you'll just leave a deposit. You may only be there for 48 hours or 72 hours. So you'll leave a deposit of your faith. There'll be other situations where you'll go and live and you'll embody something and you'll demonstrate something of the grace and love and mercy of God in two nations. And I think, I think I'm underlining the word think here because you've got to weigh all of this, but I think particularly some of those nations will be nations which would be described as closed nations. And that there's um, nations which are not open to the gospel and that God will give you opportunities because of your work to go and embody uh, something of uh, who God is and of the love of God to people. You're going to uh, demonstrate it through your life. And uh, therefore, not to be surprised if you find that you get nations on your heart and that God opens doors to go into nations and to travel into nations. I, I feel that... that, that I feel like there's a, some big decisions you've got to make in this next season. 
And uh, that this word is key as part of the decisions you've got to make. I don't, I, sorry, I don't, can't remember how old you are. I don't know whether it's A-levels or university or things like that, whether it's other decisions. But I feel that part of God's heart for you, you need to understand what his heart is for you because it's going to influence and shape the decisions you need to be making in these next few years in your life. Uh, is that okay? Great. Thank you. Shall we stand? We, uh, as we worshipped this morning, as we delighted in God, there were themes of freedom coming out, of freedom. And I just want to encourage us just to pause for a moment, because I feel the Spirit of God isn't yet done with us. And for some of us, he just wants to bring freedom. Freedom where perhaps leadership has gone wrong in the past, and we've felt, well, I can't ever do that again. And for God to call us back in to carrying responsibility in perhaps ways we've been shy of in the past because of the past. I feel for others there's a liberty to, a freedom to think differently. I feel the Spirit of God's here to say it's time to start thinking differently. It starts with the renewing of your mind of who you are in Christ and understanding this isn't about ability, this is about calling and anointing. And the grace of God. So I just want to encourage us. Why don't we just hold out our hands and say, Father, I want to be free. I want to be free to do all that you've called me to be and to do. And I want to welcome you and say, have your way in me. If there's things in my heart in my life, in my past, which are holding me back. Lord, would you show me them? Would you deal with them? That I can fully engage in your plans and purposes for the future. Knowing you're good, you're faithful, you're trustworthy. And even as I say those words, I feel for some of us, they're like arrows coming back into our lives. Oh, that's good. I've forgotten that God's good. I've forgotten he's trustworthy. I'm not sure I've trusted him recently. And there's a freedom and liberty God's just starting to bring now. Now receive it. Receive what the Spirit's doing. Welcome him. You can just say, yeah, please, more, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Do all that you want to do. There's a liberty and freedom of the Spirit here. Time to think differently. Time to see things differently. Time for minds to be renewed. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Say, have your way amongst us. Have your way amongst us. Build your church. Thank you, Father. We trust you, Lord. We commit ourselves to you. We say, have your way amongst us. It is about you, the glory and honor of your name. And we 
willingly and gladly submit ourselves to you. Say, have your way in us. Individually, corporately, for the glory and honor of your name. Amen. Amen.